there's about four different ways to say the name of this prophet. Um, I will pronounce it one way, and I may in the course of our sermon today pronounce it another way, because I grew up hearing it another way. Um, But if you would uh, forbear with me, I am going to have you read with me the first chapter of the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. He looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, 
and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius, they came. May the Lord add his own blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. This morning I want us to particularly think on the message of the Lord that's found in verse 9. We read there, Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man to his own house. I'm going to consider the message of the Lord here with you this morning. I want us to entitle our time, The Life Which I Now Live. Of course, that being a reference to another scripture that we'll consider in just a moment. But I want us to think on the message that we have from the Lord through this prophet to his people. Before we go any further, though, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us and speak to us for Jesus' sake. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will bless this time with the attending power of God. Lord, it is your word. It is your message. It is that which you have said to your people. It is our prayer that you will allow it to be applied to our hearts. Lord, I would pray that thou wouldst overrule that which has to do with man, that thou wouldst allow that which has to do with the Lord Jesus to be presented plainly and to be heard, to be heeded, to believe, be believed upon. And then we find ourselves applying to our own hearts that which you say for us is the mind and will of God. Lord, bless now this time with thy Spirit's help. Allow us to know the Lord our God speaking to our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. In the reading that we have just considered, we have before us God's answer to the question, what comes of living for self? What comes of living for self? Or perhaps we can rephrase that in a milder way to point out God's answer to this question. What comes to those preoccupied with the matters of this life? I want to stress to you that the relevance and applicability of this word to the Jews who were supposed to be rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem to our own lives is very plain. These people that this prophet speaks to were not different than we are. They were sinners. Yes. They were evidently selfish. So are we. They were interested in lots of comforts and little work this is all too common a trait amongst us. The point is that these people that this prophet speaks to were not outlandishly different people than we are. They were sidetracked. They were finding that their preoccupations, though, were making them far from happy. 
In fact, quite the opposite was true. They were becoming more and more miserable as the time went on. They found themselves failures. Frustration was at their elbow and slippery rocks were beneath their feet. They fancied themselves going in the direction of prosperity and fullness, but they were coming into the place of utter emptiness. Why? Why with so much work and so much energy and so much time and so much thought being given to the things that they counted as important, why were they coming to an end that was so empty? Well, the Lord tells them why. He says he was blowing on all that they were doing. He was causing the aspirations of self to flow through their hands like a sieve. Again, I want to stress that this condition was not peculiar to them. It is peculiar. It may be that it is peculiar and that it is the constant end of the people of God. Follow their own goals and dreams rather than that of the Lord their God. Those that will have their way will find themselves sowing much and bringing in little. Again, the question is, why? Well, I'm going to present to you one truth that will be the theme for our thinking this morning that really is the answer to that question. And our theme then is this. The eternal purpose of God is to build Christ's kingdom and for him to be adored. You say, how does that relate? I'm going to go over that with you in just a moment. The Lord has purposed that the kingdom of Christ is to be built and Christ is to be adored. That is the eternal purpose of God. What you find these people suffering and doing was not in line with that end. So I've got four points I'm going to present to you this morning. The first of which is I want to see the reason. The reason why this came to the end or does come to the end, still comes to the end, that it does. When the people of God are preoccupied with themselves, preoccupied with the things they have to do with this life, rather than setting their minds and hearts upon the Lord Jesus and his work. The reason that this comes to naught, the reason why it comes to frustration and to the end that these people were knowing is that the Lord is against all other preoccupations. The Lord is against all other preoccupations. The message of the Lord in this matter is simple, it is plain, and it is emphatically set forth. Verse 9 again. He talks to them and says, You're coming to little. And he asks the question, Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because mine house that is is waste, and ye run every man to his own house. There's the reason. You are preoccupied with the things that have to do with self rather than the things that have to do with Christ. Was the, let's just put it in the proper framework, though. Was the Lord highly displeased because there was no temple among that off this built stone that is a monument to me? Was that what the Lord was concerned with? Well, the answer was, I think we would all say it would be an obvious no. It was not the issue so much. 
that there was not this edifice as there was a problem in the hearts of men. I say here is a very direct statement of the Lord's displeasure with the mind heart that is caught up with all the affairs and aspirations of the world rather than the things that have to do with our God. Paul expresses this truth in a similar fashion in his words to Timothy when he says in first or second Timothy 2 and 4 no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier Paul also commented to Timothy earlier in, in chapter uh, 6 of first Timothy where he says but godliness is great gain you have the issue of someone who is looking to do for self rather than to do for Christ. And Paul says, this is not the way that a man who belongs to Jesus Christ should be. John relates the same message when he warns of God's displeasure with those whose hearts and minds are set on obtaining the comforts of this life for themselves. In 1 John Chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There it is. You have two distinct things. Loving the world, seeking the things of the world, and seeking the things of God. If you're involved with the seeking of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. There it is. The Lord Jesus makes the matter even plainer when he states the underlying evil that rests on working to satisfy self. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, the Lord Jesus says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Again, the Lord says that he is against the laboring for the things that perish and would have us to labor for that which does not pass away. Well, we might ask at this point, so what's the big issue? Why is the Lord so preoccupied? Why is it so important to him? Why does that have to be such a big thing that the Lord would blow, as it were, upon the efforts of these people who are trying to feather their own nests? Why is that a big deal? Why it is a point with the breath of God to blow upon the temporal goods of his people? Well, here's the issue. Here's the reason why it's a big deal. There is a covenant promise between the Father and the Son that the Son will have his inheritance. He will have his kingdom with those he died to save. But here, again, here's the crux of this. Because of that truth, when men's hearts are set on obtaining for themselves, their hearts cannot fulfill the first and great commandment. It cannot happen. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot love Christ and serve Christ and love and have the world. It cannot happen. 
And the Father has promised to the Son, I will give you a people, and that people will be your inheritance, and they will love you because you have loved them first. May I put it to you this way? God the Father will have Christ loved and honored by those that are given to him. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is, again, I say, a covenant promise between Father and Son that the Son will be loved by His people as He loves them. Therefore, those who are not loving Christ are very much opposed to the mind of God. When we put ourselves in that place where we seek our own things. And here's, here's the point. The things that hinder love for Christ, the Father will not tolerate. Why is it that it seems that I work so hard for this and that and it just comes to naught? Well, there very well could be a very good reason. The Father in heaven may be blowing on it because it's keeping you from loving the Lord Jesus. Or may I put it in this light? Understand this. Again, Paul comments both to the Corinthians and to the Colossians. He says in 1 Corinthians 20, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're not your own. The Lord Jesus has bought you by his blood. You belong to him. Your place is to love and to adore Christ, not to dwell in your own sealed houses, so to speak. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. You're familiar with this verse. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things earth for life is hid with Christ in God and whatsoever ye do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him or as Paul said to the Corinthians again 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 23 and ye are Christ's and Christ is God's the reason why this will not be allowed of God for the people of God to prosper without their mind and heart set on Christ is because there's a covenant with Jesus Christ that his people will love him. Now, come to a second point. The problem. The problem. There's a big problem in this whole matter. And the problem is essentially that the love of self and the desire for self is deeply embedded in our fallen nature. This love of self and the desire for self is a failure that's deeply embedded in our fallen nature. And first I would point out relative to that truth that all are are affected. All are affected. The extent... And the exhibit of the sinful way are not always seen the same way in everybody. Some are less likely to have it glaringly seen on the surface, but all are infected. Self-love is 
that which all struggle with. This was the issue right from the very first. It was part of the sin of our first parents. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. And when the woman saw the tree that it was good for food and that it was a was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. There it is. She had the desire for self. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Right from the very start. This desire for self rather than the desire for the person of our God has been a deeply embedded problem, a deeply embedded failure in sin. It was the very same thing. This desire to have for self was a chief stumbling block for David in his costly sins. There's a well-known psalmist that reflects on the misery of a saint in good standing with God as he looks on the things that the wicked obtain with ease. You're familiar with this, Psalm 73. Asaph comments on, on his heart wrestling with the desire to have the comforts and conditions of the ungodly. He comes to see the folly of that and the end of the wicked and his heart turns. But the point is that all struggle with the desire to build one's own house, so to speak. We all are so prone to that. That's a problem. But also the problem is this, that we are all helpless to conquer this. Not only is this something that we all find within ourselves, we're absolutely helpless to do anything about it. We are not able to help ourselves from being all taken up with this desire. In fact, I would suggest to you that here lies the very heart of the words that Christ spoke when he said to his disciples in John 15, I am the branch, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Well, there it is. You all are helpless. You are helpless to fight this battle without abiding in me. Cannot be done. We are not able to conquer the issues of our hearts. We cannot get past the desire to gain for self and obtain the treasures of this earth that succumb to moth and rust. Beyond that, we are told that our heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. We lie to ourselves. We convince ourselves with great arguments that what we need is other than the Lord has allowed this is something that we cannot conquer. And I would suggest to you that this condition of which I speak was the kernel from which the discontent of the Israelites grew in the desert. Discontent and desire for self are a plague, the fangs of which are as deadly as those of the serpents which bit them. So, what's the answer? The Lord is against this. We cannot do anything about this. We all suffer from it. What's the answer to this? Where lies the hope in this matter? Well, we come then to our thought, and that is the hope. I say the hope is in the very words of Christ that we have just noted. 
John 15, 5, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, abideth in me, and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. Very much different from what's being described in Haggai, where there was no fruit, now there is much fruit. Abiding in Christ. Or may I put it more plainly, there is help, there is the help of the Lord Jesus for every saint that is in union with him. Our help is of the Lord. John 16 and verse 33 tells us why there's help. These things have I spoken unto you that, ye, that in me ye might have peace in the world. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There it is. I have overcome the world, the Savior says. Why is it that you and I have a hope? It's because Jesus Christ has overcome. Jesus Christ has done what you and I can't. He, there has only been one that has ever overcome in this matter. He alone has lived the will of God to perfection. His righteousness is the temple in which our minds and hearts must dwell. Paul, in looking at this, and from, the, from which we took our title uh, this morning, says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but here's the point, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see the answer there? We place our faith in the perfect work and the perfect ability of the Lord Jesus to help us, to undertake for us, to overrule that which has to do with our failures. And so I suggest to you that we must be those that dwell uh, where Christ's work is ever before our eyes and hearts, abiding in him. That's what it means, that what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, who Christ is, is always in our minds and our hearts. We dwell there, we abide there, our faith is there. And as we find ourselves in that place, we will find that there is strength for our hearts and souls by the power of the Spirit of God to rise above these various things that we are unable to do for ourselves. You know, you can take the statement of the Lord Jesus about the master and the mammon and reverse it. And it comes out to be a very powerful truth that we can, we can maintain as well. The argument of the Lord was that if a man loved his God, then he cannot love mammon. <laughs> we, we always think of it the other way around. If you love mammon, you can't love God. Well, you know, the truth of it is, if you love God, you can't love mammon. There's the point. There's the power. If you abide in the Lord Jesus, if your heart is given to Christ, if you are in the process of loving Christ, you won't love mammon. You won't have the issues of selfish desires it can't happen can't no man can have two masters if if the lord's your master you can't have mammon as your master hallelujah oh may we understand that the lord jesus has broken the bars of this prison house he has led the captives free there is not a bondage to sin anymore 
And we can, by seeking and walking with him, rise up to build the house of God and leave our own behind. That's the message. You know, seemingly every time the Lord Jesus healed, it was a testimony to the power that is found in his mercy and grace. He has power to overcome the failures caused by sin. He has the power to overcome my selfish heart. Well, one last thought. How do we come to know this power in healing? I'd have you read with me again verses 12 and 13. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. So my last point is the instruction. The instruction. The instruction of the Lord by the word of his prophet was to obey the voice of the Lord God. Now I want to stress with you when the Lord presents here the fact that these people obeyed. This is not merely that the Lord called for an outward conformity to the instruction of God. You say, how do you know that? Because pure outward conformity to the things that we would say are the desires and ways and laws of God would never ever have caused the people to again honor and fear the Lord. That would not have happened. That was a spiritual work. There was something else that was done. I say that the Lord's instruction here to these men and to the people lay mostly in the, a redirection of heart. In other words, there was repentance. There was repentance. There was a seeking of the face of God. There was a renewal of mind to do that which God... Did. This is not a new, a new thought here. The Lord Jesus puts it very plainly. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. You all know this verse by heart. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You seek after the Lord Jesus. You seek to walk with him. You seek to obey him. You seek to love him. You seek to honor him. You seek to hear from his word. You seek to commune with him. When you are doing these things and seeking first the kingdom of God, which by covenant the Father has promised to the Son, if fulfilling that which is your covenant part in the kingdom, by loving Christ, all the things that you would seek or need will be added unto you. There's the point that the Lord Jesus is making. That's the instruction that the Lord is giving to these people. You need to repent and turn from this mindset where everything is geared to self and decorating your house and building your garden and all the other things that might go along with that sort of thing. And seek first the kingdom of God. It's a heart set. It was not an issue so much of the physical building of the temple being built though they did get busy with that because that was an outward token of that which was taking place in the heart 
But the mindset was, I want to walk closely with my God. Again, this is something for us that only takes place by the meeting of our hearts with the Lord Jesus. There's the message. The life that I now live, I live for Christ. If I live for Christ, the things that my preoccupations have sought, they'll, they'll be added. They probably won't be added to me uh, in the way that I thought, and probably that's for my good. But they'll be added to me. I will not go without. If I walk with Christ. And we might ask a question just as a last thought. What can be expected for a heart that does this, that does seek? You have it again in your reading. Verses 14 and 15. What can be expected? Here it is. And the Lord stirred up the spirit. Oh, for a work of God. Oh, for a revival of God. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. The Lord did a work in their hearts over and above. That's what we need. We need to see the Lord do a work over and above. Our repentance, though it may be real, is completely insufficient. <laughs> it is right and good, but it is not that which is of any power. There's nothing in our hearts that lies with any power. But the Lord says that the broken in heart, contrite heart, he will not despise. If we will put ourselves to that place, he will then lift up. He will lift up. He will revive. Where are you? Where are we? Are we preoccupied? There's only one remedy for that. And that is to turn and to seek the face of the Lord Jesus. To walk with him. For therein is the promise of God poured out. Not only just to us, but more so to Christ. Well, may the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning. May he continue to speak to us for Jesus' sake. Let's all pray. Our Father and our God, now we would pray that you will bless thy word. We pray that you will use it in our hearts and minds to draw us to the Lord Jesus, to make us to be those who are freed by his power from the things that do so easily beset, that we would not find ourselves preoccupied loving this world, the things that are in the world, loving for ourselves, striving to get for ourselves things that the moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But Lord, may we be those who are loving Christ, working for the Lord's sake. Lord, help us. Revive us. Meet with us. Help us to abide in the Savior. We need your mercy. We need your grace to do that. We ask it of thee, all in Jesus' name. Amen.